Hello, and welcome back to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the podcast where we watch, review, and discuss every goddamn horror movie on Netflix. I'm Steven. I'm here as always with my faithful companions, Patrick. Hello. And Chris. Hello. And uh, we're not going back too far here. We're here to discuss the 2020 end film, His House, which I'm very excited to get into with both of you. Um, Who's I chose this movie. We'll get into it. We'll get into who. <laughs> That's kind of the question. We'll get into the, into the pronoun there. Uh, but you know, as always, before we get into it, we like to have a little little catch up. You know, we, <laughs> we have busy lives. We don't have time to talk to each other about all the things we're watching or text incessantly until the middle of the night. Uh, have you guys I don't, been? I don't have time to talk to you. I just have time to watch a bunch of horror movies and read a bunch of books. I'm and so, I've, TV I've, I'd rather be in, in no other way. I mean, I think that's kind of a perfect friendship. I'm so sorry. I'm just sitting over here snickering to myself because the and, and I feel like this joke is if appropriate to make it all only now before we've gotten into any serious discussion of this film because the phrase hymns house just entered into my head. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it won't go away now. So I don't okay. get it. What's the joke? Oh, hymns is like off future sponsor of the show. Yeah, Hymns is like off-brand Viagra that you can buy online. It's a it's that a I that I have. I mean, I'll just brand. say it. I've I've purchased it online, and it's a wonderful company. You do interact <laughs> with the real doctor. Um, they do address your 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 lifestyle, your your general health and well-being, and find the treatment that works best for you. Because more forty percent of men over twenty-five suffer from erectile dysfunction. Did you know that? And there's no Wait, reason to be ashamed of it. You, you said they, they are sponsoring us now, or they're going to be? I mean, this is kind of wishful thinking, wishful podcasting. You're auditioning but, uh, You're auditioning for the hymns ad read right yeah, now. Yeah, you know, we'll see if they like it. We'll see if they like it. <laughs> Great. Um, well, now that we've talked about uh, limp dicks, <laughs> let's do some <laughs> horror catch-up. Yeah, have you, uh, Chris, I assume you've been very busy lately, and we've all been busy, but have either of you watched anything, read anything, experienced anything horror-wise that you want to share with our listeners and with each other? Uh, real short and sweet, I haven't watched much, haven't read much, haven't listened to much, but I did watch Colossal, which oh, is a movie right. I've been playing to watch. It's, is it horror? Not really, but it involves kaiju monsters, and I have nothing else mm-hmm. to talk about, so I'll give it a plug. Good, good movie. I enjoyed it. Took took some turns. I was in the mood for something lighthearted, and oh, oh, oh no, it was not a lighthearted movie. By the end of it, moments of comedy and and, and quirkiness for sure, but getting real deep into uh, addiction and abuse, and mm-hmm. and uh, I went on a ride with that one that I I did not sign up for, but. It was a good movie. I mean, it's not going to be something I think about for the rest of my life, but, you know, for the next couple of weeks, sure. <laughs> I feel like I saw that movie, but I don't remember a goddamn thing about it. Um, I was kind of in the same boat. I remember liking it and it not being quite what I expected, but that was it. I mean, yeah. I remember, like, the basic, you know, the poster, the the kind of trailer for it, and, and that's all. And Chris is not exactly making me excited about revisiting it. <laughs> Well, um, Jason Sudeikis is in the news this week because of how Olivia Wilde got served divorce papers at her film festival. Not really his fault, maybe, but it's kind of uh, uh, maybe taking the the hero luster off of Jason Sudeikis after his run on Ted Lasso, where everyone basically thought he was the nicest man in the entire world. If you want to keep going down that journey. That's a character. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you want to keep going down that journey, watch Colossal. And Jason Sudeikis will reel you in, and he is frighteningly good at playing someone who is not that great. <laughs> Dude, you don't want to hear my thoughts about the whole process server thing. Like, Oh, I love a process server. I want to be a process server. And you know what? I don't care where you are. You could be getting married. You could be putting your mother in the <laughs> ground at a funeral. You could be debuting your film at a festival. You could be on stage hosting the Oscars. I will come up and serve you if your name is on my list. I'm like 47. What I'm what I'm saying is, and I mean, we're probably going to have to cut this because no, this I'm is staying. too this is too new to have a nuanced take on it. But like, I would have to assume that a, that process server like did their due diligence before finally deciding to throw the documents on stage at that event. Like, I'm sure they called her. Went to her house a few times. Yes, yeah. like it's not that she easy probably to had get within shot. fifty feet of Olivia Wilde. I've tried. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also not All to right. get too additionally discursive, but I mean, like Jason Sudeikis has played assholes. Like honestly, Ted Lasso was kind of hit the way it did because it was almost an outlier for him. Like that was kind of his type on SNL was just playing like douchebags, you know. So I, I don't know. That's not so far afield for Sudeikis for me. Douchebags are pretty scary, but Patrick, have you watched anything scarier lately or read anything or played any games or, you it's, know? It, it's, been a, it's been a light two weeks for me, and by which I mean I've done nothing horror related. I guess I will give a quick plug to Our Flag Means Death. Finished it. It's fucking great. If you like uh, weird humor uh, and, and weird genre fiction, Go check it out. If you liked what we did in the shadows, there's my horror connection and you need what your... we did in the shadows. It's just, oh, it's over now. They're not doing a new season. It's done. It's in the past. Did I say did? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> if you liked what we do in the shadows, if you need your Taika Waititi fix, go check out our flag means death. It's fucking great. It and it goes places you're not thinking it's going to go in the best possible way. Loved it. Steven, what have you been watching that actually is horror? I mean, so first of all, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I did have a surgery this Monday that went very well. I'm healthy. I, I am fit. I am on the mend. But I have to tell you, like, I had visions of every Cronenberg gross out scene I've ever seen in my life for like two days afterwards. Just thinking about the invasiveness of a stranger sticking instruments into my body and moving things around and uh which i can still feel the effects of which is very surreal so that was kind of some scary real life horror um, were, were any crimes of the future perpetrated upon you i if we're talking lawsuit wise potentially but i won't get into that right now sorry please, what are you doing um I like how you're buying pills online from a random non-board certified doctor, but then the actual hospital is where. Who Here's the thing: to same pills, same pills you can get from your doctor without the discomfort of having to ask your family doctor about your penis. Right? That's the appeal of hymns. That's why if it's you can't the go-to option for men. About it, who can you ask? It's the go-to for, for men who uh, suffer from this, you know, very common issue that, you know, deserve a way to go about addressing it discreetly. Are you um, worried your, your family doctor's going to tell your mom and dad? Like, what's the concern here? 
I mean, when your family doctor has seen your penis from age four onward, it does get to be a little bit awkward to talk about your sexual health, um, which is where Hims comes in, and they're really kind of a lifesaver. You can get a 20% discount by typing in the code. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in AMONCAST20. That's 20% off your first order. Um, no, but I also watched kind of a bonkers movie, like in kind of a, a, the Tylenol haze of a post-surgery, which was... Um, a 1981 movie called Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, Ooh. which features a very great title, right? A movie, yeah. It's a movie that's been very hard to find for a long time. I've heard some good things about it. Kind of didn't even know what it was about, just that it was like one of those fucked up things you have to see. It also does feature a very young Bill Paxton, somewhat briefly, and he's as obnoxious as ever, as you guys know. I'm not really <laughs> a fan of the Pax. Uh, I mean, RIP still. Um, but I, I will say... All, almost nothing about this movie or its plot except that if you like bonkers 80s psychosexual slasher dramas a la sleepaway camp where you're not sure if the filmmakers are in on the joke or the sort of reprehensible implications of the content that are being presented to you and you're not easily offended it's a blast that is currently on shutter i would be shocked if Joe Bob didn't do an episode about it during his upcoming season. Chris, I saw your eyes get really big right then. Oh, no, I was just looking at my pupils in the webcam. Oh. <laughs> okay. Just admiring himself. It sounds good. I, I'm always skeptical. I, I'm always skeptical of anything that starts with a disclaimer that says, if you're easily offended, don't participate. See, that's the stuff I gravitate toward personally. Um, at this least as like far Elon as like Elon Musk recommending a movie. <laughs> I frankly don't don't see the parallel, but um, anyway, uh, yeah, catch us Steven's on Twitter. Just a believer next in week. free speech, Chris. Just let him practice free speech. Free insanity, really. If we're talking Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, like whoever conceived of that should be thrown in jail um, it's the same guy who did taylor tinker soldier spy right yeah it's jean le carré it's a classic uh, <laughs> he, he took a took a little uh he's got bored with kind of the 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 kind of spy novel motif that he made a name for and he wrote this under a pseudonym that's um, the that's the butcher the baker the nightmare maker and her lover right and the cook and the thief fit in there somewhere i'm not okay, sure how all right. um, it's, it's all part of the same cinematic universe Yep, I'm sure at least one person from It Slays, and probably only them, is laughing at that joke. Um, I'll ask them next time I hang out with my new friends. <laughs> there we go. You took the bait. Okay, so, yeah, that's my catch-up. Guys, we're here to talk about his house. The plot's ostensibly pretty simple. It's about a, a couple that is fleeing uh, Sudan during war times. They lose their daughter along the way and are put in tenement housing in the UK and are essentially forced to try and assimilate into a brand new society under, you know, it, it, it kind of ex an extreme rubric of, of rules. And they find that their new home isn't, uh, doesn't quite feel like home. It, it may in fact be haunted. There are spirits tormenting them. It may, them. in fact, be haunted. It may, in fact, be haunted. That should be the title of this movie. Um, and yeah, they're, 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 this poor couple who've gone through this the, all of the, this horrific atrocity and have found their way to safety, unfortunately, have to deal with not only the cultural re 
repercussions of their emergence in the society, but also uh, ghosts and demons and creepy things. Yeah, and this movie, speaking of of being thrown into the heavy shit when you weren't necessarily expecting it, I knew that this was a movie that was going to, you know, deal with some themes, deal with some social issues, but I was not expecting to just be thrown into the shoes of a refugee couple mm-hmm. within 30 seconds of putting the movie on. And it's it's heavy and it's upsetting from the get-go. And even before the conflict begins, just seeing the plight of this family and losing their daughter at sea. I mean, they, they basically, they, they arrive in the UK via boat as, as so many refugees are mm-hmm. these days. And just even them just being in the system and talking to these, these pencil pushers in the British government is just very bleak and maybe even bleaker than the rest of the movie. Um, and I was not expecting that. I really enjoyed, I mean, so we usually, one of us usually asks the question, why did you pick this movie? Um, And I'll just answer it without having been asked that question. Like, this movie really caught me off guard. I didn't know what to expect going in, and I was immediately on board with how entrenched you become in the experience of these refugees, of these immigrants. Which, to be clear, you had seen this movie before. We should have I had seen this movie for before. Folks who didn't hear the end of last episode, around yeah, right around the time it came out, you know, in 2020, and um, had just heard a bunch of good recommendations. Was looking for something, you know, new and and creepy and and well made to watch, but didn't really know much about the content. And I, a lot of the horror for me was really about feeling like this movie put me in the shoes of the other, and how. Um, you know, isolating and disorienting that experience can be and how dehumanizing in so many ways. And for me, a lot of the horror in this movie was really just kind of the mundane day-to-day stuff that this poor couple has to go through in this nightmarish subdivision that they move into that is almost literally at times like a like an inescapable maze of poverty. I had not seen this movie before. You strongly re- recommended this movie, Stephen, when it came out, I think, on the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And I was really intrigued, but never got around to watching it. So I was glad I had this opportunity um, or this obligation, I guess, to finally watch it. So this is one of those movies that does exactly what, you know, Roger Ebert always said movies should do. It's an empathy machine it, mm-hmm. and it generates empathy from moment one. Um, but I want to build on what Chris said, where you're immediately thrown into something like very distressing and and but also along with that, I liked that uh, the leads in this are fucking amazing. The two, oh, the, yeah. two the, the the actors who play the the main couple who we follow throughout the movie, like the very first moment, I think you see them together. They're in like some sort of detention facility while they wait to be housed, and they're just sitting on a bed, like hanging out, you know, because they're they're just in a holding pattern when they get to the UK and there's a brief exchange between them early on. And it's so short. You get like 30 seconds or a minute of them because, Oh yes. It's, it's because he's dreaming. The first scene Mm -hmm. is his dream of, of them being back in Sudan and, and trying to protect their daughter. And he wakes up and she asks him, what were you dreaming of? And he says, I was dreaming of you, of, uh, of our wedding. Our day, marriage. He says, our yeah. Wedding day, yeah. And she yeah. says, oh, well, that explains the, scre- the screaming. And it's a funny line, but also just immediate chemistry. And you feel the warmth of this relationship. So it, kind of that push pull where you have that distressing, traumatic situation immediately. But also right away, I'm like, oh, 
I know these people. They feel real and their relationship feels so real. It's just a great bit of writing, directing, and acting. I mean, the, the whole the full fucking movie is. I mean, not to show my hand too early, but I'm not going to beat around the bush here. This is a great fucking movie. I loved it. But it you're there. You are right there in the conflict and in the and in the warmth and in the love and in the connection between these two people from square one. It's a great exchange and it in in different hands. Like I could see that exchange happening in like a Marvel movie and it being kind of treacly and like hey hey cliched. hey now. Hey, hey sorry that's a <laughs> let's not come for Marvel movies. But no, I know what you're saying. You could but you I could, could play I, that, I could see could that, that, that in exchange. like a big prestige drama movie and it being drawn out but the fact that it is just so quick and so natural and these actors clearly have so much chemistry i immediately thought like oh i know very little about these characters but i understand their marriage i understand their relationship just in like 15 seconds it's so good yep but yeah we wind up in this tenement house which is you know the worst apartment that you've ever lived in take it a notch down Oh, it's like trailer park boys. I mean, there's just like furniture <laughs> stacked up outside around the, you know, the the. Uh, it's sort of like a condo or like a townhouse sort of thing where it's like conjoined homes, and it's just completely dilapidated. The, the siding is coming off of it. the The walls have holes in them. The wallpaper is peeling down. It looks like the set of a you know a, a saw. Uh, scene or something like like you can imagine oh, it's somebody not being taken grimy. away at this place you don't think it's as grimy as saw i think it was places I, I mean, a lot of the griminess of saw comes from just the gross green like fucking color correction they put over everything which this movie does not have this movie looks great for the most part as well as another yeah if you put board. a teal lamp in that living room and a guy <laughs> yeah, chained to a chair it would it would make sense in a saw great, movie yeah. if i turned my blue light filter on it would look like a saw movie probably yeah um, i was fascinated by how like i i think in the first scene they're walking around the apartment there's kind of a wide-ish shot of the the man we need to remember their fucking names they're both escaping me right now um, it's okay it's it's a man woman movie it's it's a man we'll woman, the man with the man woman, woman the husband the wife yeah <laughs> but anyways uh he's standing in the living room and there is this strange hole in the wall behind him it's down at like floor level and this will be a significant hole it's a significant hole guys and i feel like that needs that's a, that's a meme that needs to be a phrase a significant hole it's going to be significant later in the movie you can't you can't just say that this is going to be a meme because i said it <laughs> no i just i said significant hole and i was like i like that phrase and i'm going to meme it even if you know you what don't. patrick go start I your I post-punk you, band we don't need any more oh, oh that is a good post-punk band name that's a great idea <laughs> but no so it, and it's just in the background and it's not even shot to be conspicuous it's not like there's an ominous like james wan zoom into the hole or something but just immediately i'm like oh i don't like that hole which I also thought was masterful because it's not you're they're not drawing attention to it. It's just back there. And it's like, mm, I don't like that. And it seems like it might be a problem. Turns out it is a problem. I think it's a, like a very subtly well-made movie. And that like that is a perfect example of the kind of thing that's just sort of it's not showy. It's not flashy, but there's a mood and ambiance and there are details in the background of this thing that that, you know, reveal themselves when they need to. Mm-hmm. Um but that are sometimes presented up front and somehow again, I've seen this twice, but I don't feel like it's a fair second viewing for me in the sense that like, it's been two years. I was still like trying to remember what the plot was and like where it went while I was watching it, but I would love to go back and just see how, um, and just kind of analyze the craft. 
there were a couple of moments during this viewing where I was able to do that, where I kind of remembered the sequence and thought, like, this isn't, like, this is masterful, masterfully made in the sense that it is so economical and so mm-hmm. simple, and and it takes a, a very intelligent mind to be able to, to shoot a film that way. This is not a movie where the camera is constantly careening around, you know, and showing off. Well, and it flies by. It's my favorite length of movie to begin with. It's 93 minutes, I think. And with credits, yeah. With credits, and it flies by. I was also... <clears throat> I also really appreciated that it doesn't hold you by the hand as far as what's going on. I'm not sure the word Sudan is ever said in this movie. You don't... You, you're, you're not... No. It's not written out for you where they came from... I'm not even sure it's quite written out that they're in London. You kind of have to like piece that together. At first, I honestly thought that they were in an African country that had, uh, you know, kind of a colonial, a British colonial. Oh, like a South African sort of. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, they um, they do say London okay. pretty early on yeah. actually, but they don't say Sudan. I only yeah. we only know Sudan because it's in the Netflix description. Well, yeah. they 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 don't say Sudan, but also I feel like there are some moments where our the couple, our protagonists, encounter some adversity, some racism, and at one point the uh, the the wife is told to go back to Africa because she's not speaking like European English. Well, and she right? sold that by a black person, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is a, a black especially British person. disarming. Um Yeah. And uh, like who, I feel like if you, if, her accents and and yeah. Yeah, and I and I I like that too because this it's a movie that like I don't know, I kept thinking of it's weird. I kept thinking of Cargo while watching this for some reason. <laughs> I did a little bit too. And this is a movie where like I kept on a second watching, I kept thinking like this is going to let me down. It's going to there's some point where it's going to kind of tip its hand. It's going to be too on the nose and it never really is. Like even even some of the most subtle details are handled in a very subtle organic way. It never really spoon feeds you the information, you, but implicitly knowing the characters and seeing what they're going through is more important than knowing the the geography. Yes. And and you know the, the exact, politics. Ex- exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a human story. You're thrown in with a couple of people who you identify with immediately and and really the conflict, the geopolitics, whatever that brought them to this moment doesn't matter. It's just two people who are being treated terribly by pretty much everyone around them and you can't help empathizing with that. It's just it's a beautiful thing. And I mean, I I think I assume that that scene where the black British kids are fucking taunting her for her accent and for her her general like discombobulation in that circumstance it has the feel of something that's inspired by something that happened to the writer or or somebody in real life um and it and it only i mean cuz you also see white people be racist to them a lot in the movie too but that scene in particular really heightens just like their alienation you know cuz she goes up to these black kids thinking oh like these guys will help me out you know yeah. and they're just being dicks to her almost as much as anyone else and it just uh, that that really drove home the feeling of I mean more so they are the most overtly antagonistic and racist people in the entire movie yeah Mm, um, yeah. And I feel like that has to mean something um, thematically or politically. I'm not equipped to guess as to what, but it was just a really interesting scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get too deep into this because I'm still kind of piecing it together myself. But like, 
I, the, the term assimilation kept popping into my mind while watching this yeah. movie. And I think part of it is that like these young black kids have like grown up in this predominantly white country and have assimilated into the culture and have become, they're mm. still like the other, they're still outsiders, but they have achieved a sort of dominance in their own sort of strata. And when we see the, this couple coming in from Africa with nothing, it's easy for them and maybe comforting for them to like poke fun at these people. Like, Oh, you have so much further to go to get where we are. Right. Um, yeah. And, and think, that's a very kind of relatable experience in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah. I think the word word strata or stratum is uh, very appropriate because, you know, I, I feel like they, these two characters probably have the feeling they're at the absolute bottom of the barrel. The British government yeah. has placed them just in the, in the least advantageous position possible. And I think they have a sense that like, okay, so theoretically probably other people in this community, we're in this together to a degree, you know, yeah. and, and the, and the come very optimistic the, when they come in. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if they're optimistic, but like the, the come down of that scene in particular is like, no, the there's, there's still, social strata within this community and you are at the bottom even of that stratum you know well all right so i have a couple thoughts on that that are related not everybody in this neighborhood is mean um and we see the husband especially goes out and has some positive interactions he's taken in by someone it looks like it's a church but they're they're watching soccer inside yeah it's like a a football we'll say football because it's it's soccer okay but wait is that in their community though is that like in their sort of housing nearby it's in like walking distance or whatever and and they bring him in they give him some things and and whatever but uh you said assimilation and i think that's really what this entire movie is about about and we very clearly have the the our our leads have very different attitudes about assimilation which is kind mm-hmm. of i would say the conflict of the movie more so than oh there's spooky things in my house and i think the spooky things in the house are largely uh uh, symbolically tied to the concept of assimilation and basically the husband is excited to basically leave his old country and his old culture behind and he wants to assimilate and be British and you see mm-hmm. him going off and, and buying, you know, new clothes and, and he's doing the football he, chants and he everything. He does the football the chants. He scolds his wife for speaking their native language in the house. He says, no, we speak English now. And she, she brings is, the cooking utensils in, you know, when she's made this incredible looking dinner on the floor to eat right. traditionally as they would have before. Right. Right. And she wants to eat with her fingers and because because she's stuck. I mean, I'm not going to say stuck, but she is committed and loyal to how she's lived her life and her culture and her people. In fact, as the movie goes on, she even she de-assimilates sort of from where, you know, they show up in the first few yeah. days. She's she's dressed in in in, uh, you know, conventional, we would say, attire. And then as it goes on, one of the uh, immigration officials uh, makes fun of her for wearing a bed sheet, quote unquote, because she kind of reverts to to wearing tribal garb like she did in her home country. Um and that whole tension of how much do we want to assimilate is one of the two major conflicts in this movie. The other mm-hmm. one being if you do assimilate and if you're a refugee and you leave this sort of situation, what sort of survivor's guilt are you left with? And what sort of loyalty do you have to your 
home country and the people who you left behind and maybe the people who died while you could start your life over. And really, that's what's haunting them, in my opinion. I think the I, I think you're right about the two main themes. I see the assimilation theme as sort of a sub theme to the second one that you articulated, which is one that we can only really discuss in full in the spoiler room, because right. there's there's what we can say pre spoiler room is there are repeated references to a debt that these two people owe. Um, and, and it's kind of unclear what that is. And we'll get to that in the spoiler room. And that's and that's where we really get to the main the main meat of this. But the assimilation to me is is very much there. It's it's huge. It's very interesting. It's very meaty to dig into. But it's the degree to which they assimilate or don't is all a reaction to the other thing. Yes. Yeah. And I think obviously there's there's spoilers involved that we'll, we'll talk about later. But honestly, I don't even think that the spoiler that we are alluding to is necessary um, because I think the theme is just executed so well, even before that point where you're being they're being haunted and they're being haunted by basically ghosts of people from their country and 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 spirits who didn't survive the boat journey or who died in the conflict and that is just constantly taunting them as they try to settle in and start their life over uh see i I disagree with that i don't think i don't think i don't don't know if we should cut this but to me to say that those are spirits or people that died with them that's to me that's a spoiler i did not know that until late well i mean they're definitely connected to the home country. I mean, the wife is creeping around and she has a vision of like children in the back of a Toyota. <laughs> right. Right. And the ground. husband yeah, is pulling early on in the movie. The husband is pulling out this endless rope from the wall that has seaweed on it. And we get these flashbacks to the, you know, we know early on that people died on this journey. You can call it flashbacks if it if it makes you more more comfortable, but they are being haunted by visions yes. for sure, specters maybe of their people and the people who died and the people the, the fate that they escaped. We'll say. I mean, that's interesting. I guess that's just a, a a matter of differing perceptions. I did not perceive them as such. I'm just like, if you are black and you see a ghost, the ghost's probably black. You know, it's probably not a white ghost. I wasn't like, oh, these are people who died in their home country. You know, that that wasn't where my mind went. I was just like, okay, there's there's weird hauntings going on in this house. I didn't connect them to the events uh, uh, of Sudan. I don't think it's a spoiler, but I also respect your reading of it, Patrick. And I think the movie reads well both ways, because ultimately it's a little there's a bit of time to go before we find out like a crucial piece to this haunting that we have to say for the spoiler room, which for me is honestly what. I don't want to say this movie needed saving, but this is what elevated the movie to a higher level mm-hmm. for me, that it was willing to go to a place that I really didn't expect giving some of the screenplay's tendencies to be a little bit almost bordering on saccharine at times. It never fully goes there, but I kept worrying, oh my God, we're going to get some kind of like weepy cargo type ending with this. And no, oh like we're, we're, we're not going there. Um, th- th- This is a movie that definitely like... It has some tricks up its sleeve and has more complications than you would expect in your average, you know, 93 minute horror film. To my cargo fans out there, I'm just I want to apologize and share a moment of solidarity with you that these two fuckers are still talking shit about that goddamn masterpiece after what, three fucking years. It left a mark. That's all I can say. 
I I also want to touch briefly on Chris's uh, point about the male character's assimilation. You know, you and and I don't know if this was necessarily your intention, but you said he wants to be British and he wants to fit in. I read it very much. He felt he felt like that was what he needed to do. I don't know. My read was yeah, not that he, he wants wanted to, to. It's just that feeling of like, oh, we're here and this is what I should do now. You know, I, I struggled with his behavior a little bit again because I'm like, does he really want this or is he doing what he feels pressured to do to survive? It does seem like he's enjoying himself quite a bit. It's a lot more fun than the ghosts that are haunting his house. But that's sure. another thing that, yeah. again, takes on a new meaning once we get a bit of information later in the film where you kind of understand mm-hmm. why he would be so eager to try and get along with his neighbors. But well, yeah, even before a... any of that, I mean, even before we get into all of that, we have we have not even mentioned Matt Smith, who I, like you, Patrick, forgot <laughs> was in this movie, yes. saw him in it the second time, was like, wait, is that Matt Smith? Um, but he's their caseworker uh, who, who helps them get set up in their house, and he's kind of, you know, he's kind of a straight shooter. He's, like, been through this this sort of this regime uh, regimen before uh, acclimating couples uh, or, or refugees to new homes, but he's, you know, he's a little bit jaded and he does have a line early on that really struck me and kind of gave me chills because it came from such a down to earth character, which is be one of the good ones. Yeah. Like, make it, make it easy for them. Meaning the yeah. neighbors like don't, don't burden people with your sudden appearance and your, you know, sort of different cultural attitudes. Just, fit in and, and do whatever you can bend over backwards to make your neighbors not suspect you as terrorists essentially well, which Matt is really Smith, chilling stuff matt smith is so interesting to me i've i've never watched a single episode of doctor who so i don't know what his vibe is on doctor who i know people loved him as the doctor um but uh, he's he's just so he's so weaselly in everything that i've seen him in and he just yeah. he's perfect in this because he's got that dweeby weaselly vibe where it's uh he's like a um he's just a classic government employee and he's constantly casually racist he's just he's perfect casting and it's a perfect performance for this role i don't know that he's necessarily like casually racist i think he's just like he hates his job and he's like i fucking i have to do this and he's like trying to be human enough but he's just so checked out that like I mean, yeah, he does say something. I mean, be, kind of be one of the good ones is more than casually racist. Yeah, in, in my I book. think the, here's here's where I'm conflicted on that though is like the way that he says it and like what we know about his character made me think that like he's actually trying to give them sound advice, but he's, he's sort like, of trying to be ironic in saying that. That was I don't think that, he's trying to be ironic. Any? I think it's like half-hearted, but like he's also like. You seem like fine people, but like, please don't make my job any worse. Like, I'm really tired of doing this. But but the screenplay is certainly aware that saying one of the good ones is oh, has racist connotations. So it's, it's we're kind of getting um I mean not to not to compare this movie to that one. They're kind of getting the get out thing where we have yeah. characters who are not they don't have, hold malice towards people of color, but they're sort of casually microaggressing you as you as you yeah. go through life with them. Yeah, and it like, could have really I been his performance. Like his it could have been, uh, and that's fair. And I, I mean, I don't think you're necessarily meant to, but I don't think he's like particularly malicious. I think he's just kind of a, he's kind of a drone who's like dropped into the situation. And like, yeah, has some unhealthy attitudes, but is also like not a terrible guy. He's just doing literally what he's asked to do. And like, that would be a thing that I would expect a guy like that to say. It doesn't make it right, but I also felt like, I don't know, he doesn't seem doesn't seem evil he's not as like bad as the fucking kids that taunt the wife on the 
basketball court. Oh. But also... Hmm. To me, he was malicious through apathy. Mm. But okay. uh, but also, I mean, he is getting... a cog in a machine. But all, everybody in this movie is a cog in a machine. I mean, we're all we're all cogs in a machine. Guys. Oh, you just blew my mind. <laughs> oh, bro, it's it's only it's just Brandon and Elon Musk who are who are running the machine, bro. <laughs> um, but n- not to get into spoilers, but we you know we do get the sense through lines of dialogue relatively early on that maybe there's something off about the circumstances of how this couple is here, how they escaped Sudan. Mm-hmm. And and like Patrick said, there's a debt that needs to be paid. The wife especially is very concerned about this debt that needs to be paid. And a yeah. line of dialogue that stuck out to me very early on is when they're just being screened by the naturalization people or the asylum grantor people or whatever. And the guy says... Uh, we're good people. And the screener says, I'm not the one who needs convincing. Uh huh. So there's this theme where they're constantly, and the man especially is, t- you know, being good, trying to be good, trying to convince you that he's good. Maybe he's trying to convince himself that he's good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair read. And the good people obviously ties into that. You know, <laughs> well, or, and that or, scene or, or in be, itself be is. The, be one of the good ones. That scene in itself where they're being sort of, um, I mean, they literally say like, you're, you're, you're being, you're posting bail. Like you're not becoming citizens. Don't get too excited. But like, we're going to allow you into this country, but you have no rights. You have an insane amount of restrictions upon you in order to be able to live here. We're giving you a tiny little sort of allowance to live on it's like 79 pounds a, a week or something oh yeah they give and him then... so they give him a box of cleaning supplies in a fucked up apartment but the thing they're supposed to be happy because it's bigger than the places where anybody else in the movie lives like it's like a, <laughs> it's like it's a piece of shit it's a dump maybe you guys can relate to this because you're currently out there scouting around the housing market but like <laughs> it's like the square footage is great but but the real estate itself is cursed I, um, I was I when they he was pulling the the ropes out of the wall. I said, "This is what happens when you waive inspection." <laughs> I liked. I, this was a, a small line. They're like walking through the house, and Matt Smith for the first time. They're walking th- through the house, and Matt Smith is running down the like list of things that they are not allowed to do, and and the 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 three that kind of struck me as as funny, and I think they're intended to be lightly yeah, funny. Yeah. Is he says. No ball games, no balls, no games. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, like, there's just every other previous tenant's trash and furniture just piled up in the front yard, and apparently that's tolerated. <laughs> that's yeah. like, don't have anyone over to watch a game, don't play a game, but, yep, there's all that shit. It's, it's just... Just sit in here and be trash. The, like the your arbi- surroundings. The like, arbitrary nature of some of the regulations really came through. Well, and it Which was I think I think the Matt Smith character, like you said, Patrick, I think like that's where I f- saw a little tiny bit of humanity in him and a little bit of like a jaded cog in the machine. Where like sure. it is very clear that at the end of that list, he's he's joking with them and they don't quite pick up on it, which is fair. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, okay. So I mean, he's he's clearly tired of doing his job and maybe even hates that he has to do this to people. But I don't know. I guess. To me, that just doesn't let him off, let him off the hook. 
Oh, he's not off the hook, but I think he's like weirdly ever so slightly sympathetic for a while. I don't know that the movie really pays off on his inclusion in it at all by the end, but um, I, I was I was just really in intrigued intrigued. I don't know. I I really enjoyed this portrayal of the immigrant experience because I don't think you see this that often. I'm trying to even think of a movie that portrays immigrant experience in this way or even anything that whether it's like a news story or something I've read that portrays immigrant experience in in the modern era with uh, this degree of thoroughness, empathy. I don't know. I was just so thoroughly disoriented by it, um, which I think is a good sign that it did a good job of showing me something Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen before, you know? Yeah. I liked what you said earlier about the empathy machine. Cause I thought of the same phrase when I was watching this and obviously the experience of these people are very different than my personal experience. I'm, I mean, I'm the, I'm the most privileged class of person on earth. I'm You're the whitest <laughs> guy. I know straight white male American Geter Don. <laughs> but uh i was listening to you were conservative... not born into absurd family wealth that's the only way in which you're not yeah i but i mean more wealth than most people i guess sure um but i the, mean say, uh, all of us really i was listening to conservative to a talk extent, but sorry go ahead I was I was listening to conservative talk radio this week just because I was bored and I do that sometimes. <laughs> I do and, too. And and the amount of vitriol that was coming out about migrants and asylum seekers specifically was very foul, and it was very interesting to hear that on Tuesday and then watch this movie on Wednesday. And mm. it's it's I talked to Patrick about this recently. It's like my favorite type of movie that deals with these sorts of issues is not like a preachy movie, one that really tells you what to believe, but one that just puts you in someone's shoes who isn't like you. And it's like, how do you feel? And, and, and can summon empathy universally. I always use the example, not to mention get out twice on a movie on this episode, but like Go the end it. of get out, you know, when there's, when there's police lights, Everybody in the theater, I don't care what flag you have outside your house or, or, you know, what color the stripe on the American flag is outside your house. When they see (laughs) the police lights at the end of Get Out, everybody gets it. It's universal. Yeah. Everybody gets it. Is it, though? I mean, do we know this? I feel like you both want to believe this, but I just don't know if you have like a hardcore Trump voter in there. Like, are they are they on the same page as you in that? I mean, I I mean, maybe a stray here and there. But I think like seeing that movie in a theater, it was like you felt it. You felt that everybody saw it it in an Ann Arbor theater, Stephen. I just I mean, I I felt that in the theater, too, but it was in fucking Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah, I don't if, have if, proof. I don't have proof. If that this, many, but... if that many white people are spooked by that scene, I think it speaks even more to what Chris is talking about. <laughs> Liberal white people, <laughs> no, though. Liberal I, I white think people. I can't imagine people who would have voted for Obama for a third term. <laughs> right. Anyone, even Trump people, I don't think would watch then to get out and see the police lights and say, "Hell yeah, he's gonna be safe." The the good guys are here. <laughs> I think I just this don't movie see that happening. I think no, this but movie I feel is like a good would be like, test. oh, there, oh, oh, here we go. We're supposed to not like the police. We love the police. Oh, sure. They might be inoculated against that sort of depiction, but I mean, once you once you lose yourself in it, it's it's very different than I don't know 
George Clooney telling you that the oil company is corrupt or whatever in his movie. <laughs> I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you're, I, I agree with your overall point, which is that I prefer a subtler approach that's based on empathy and throwing you into a realistic situation with realistic characters than, well, especially a white director telling you how to feel about black, black refugees. I feel like we're getting lost a little bit in the sense of the fact that we haven't really talked about how scary this movie is. Yes, that, yes. that was what I, I, was, <laughs> we, I was literally just about to here? say. Let's talk about the horror because it is a horror movie because we've gone so deep into the drama and the politics, which are very, very important and so well done. But also it is scary and it's scary really soon. Like it doesn't waste time. Maybe in the first 10 minutes, there's already something deeply unsettling and haunted happening in that house. And like to get this out of the way, there are some fairly standard jump scares in this, but they work because they are grounded in character and in very compelling sequences. And they're and not like, accompanied that's how I by want my jump scare. And there they're are not some accompanied noises. by like your standard musical cue. And you know, don't there's get a couple me wrong, of bangs and crashes. I love uh, conjuring. I love an absurd like musical sting to startle me and give me that roller coaster response to a jump scare. I'm not anti jump scare. I don't think it's a bad word. I don't think it's a dirty word. But this is <laughs> these are these are elevated jump scares. I mean, I, like not, I don't know that they're necessarily elevated jump scares, but I, I understand what you're saying. We're like, there is a little bit, a little bit of that in this. There's a little bit of the kind of the haunted house spook show stuff popping out at you sort of thing. But it's always kind of couched in in. I mean, at a base level, this movie is unpleasant, right? The predicament that these characters are in is deeply unpleasant and grimy and gross. And we're worried about them and their marriage. And there's, you know, there's some strife happening. So um, a little jump scare goes a long way. And there are sequences in this movie where you a scene might set off with something like that and then lead into something that is even more horrifying where you actually are like you see a character go toe to toe with the supernatural in a very organic sort of sense well and even those jump scares one is coming to mind in particular for me they're they're still very smartly done you know i talked yeah. about the the hole in the wall before and quite early in the movie uh the husband is examining that hole because there's weird i don't know noises i forget what coming out of the hole and he's you know down on his hands and knees leaning sideways looking into the hole and we're all like, oh, fuck, what's going to come out of the hole? But he kind of like moves up slightly from the floor to get a better view. Mm -hmm. And their dead daughter, Niagak, I want to say her name is. Yeah. Is behind him just like with her mouth wide open, like, uh, and it's deeply disconcerting because it's 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 good misdirection. It's like there's a hole. There's going to be something in the hole. But no, it's behind him. The complete opposite direction of where he's looking. And he never sees it. He never sees it, but he does see it's kind of a kind of a double fake sort of thing. I don't know if the word is for it. Uh, maybe a, a little bit of a Texas switcheroo. But we we see that and then he sees a fucking bird flying out of the hole. And then we do like it's like a stressful sequence because we have two scares, one that we see that he doesn't and another that is kind of a standard jump scare sort of thing that he That's actually experiences, which makes it scarier because we have more information than he does. And then it tops it off with what I normally do something I normally hate in a horror movie, but there's a little bit of a punchline where he just says strange country. 
<laughs> and it works it absolutely works it's a brilliant little like 30 45 second sequence that kind of sets you up for like how this movie is going to fuck with you going forward i don't remember the bird at all i watched this really? last night i didn't i didn't remember that at all that's so interesting as far I as just remember like the bird either actually oh really Maybe it was a. Huh. Uh... <laughs> oh, maybe maybe know. the hymns are getting to Stephen. They're no, I just I actually just watched that part of the movie again before we started recording, and it's it's great. And I watched it again because at first I was like a little bit troubled by it. Where I was like, this is like too many jump scares in one thing, and then we land on a joke. But actually, like taking within the full context of the film and the narrative, it's it's kind of brilliant. Like I I just can't wipe the smile off my face thinking about it. Steven's going to check the back of his bottle of hymns and there's going to be fine print that says, if you see a bird, it's going to say, Steven, you have been in a virtual reality experiment. If you see a bird, it means something has horribly gone wrong in the experiment and we need to get you out immediately. Oh, I am a firm believer in the fact that birds are not real. Um, yeah, he's, he's going to do, Steven's going to do his next Zoom with the doctor who did the surgery on Jack Nicholson in the 1989 Batman. And the doctor is going to be like, if you see a bird, uh, that could be problems. We are jokes aside. There is a bird, and it's kind of like I, I, yeah, it's an interesting moment um, for sure. It, um, I don't know where to go from that. But yeah, it's a scary scary. movie. No one else is fucking scary when he's pulling that rope out of the goddamn wall. What a great! Never seen that in a movie before. You know, he starts pulling. He starts pulling what essentially looks like a a cable. You know, like maybe there's an electrical cable on the wall, and as he as he pulls it out, it gets thicker and thicker, and it turns into a rope, and it's got seaweed all over it, and Mm -hmm. it just gets gnarlier and gnarlier as he pulls. And yeah, like you said, it's it's nightmare uh, nightmare logic. It's a nightmare maker. <laughs> a butcher a and a baker nightmare, too. Nightmare logic in this great movie. Scene. It is a scary movie, and often we don't talk about if a movie's scary or not because most of the time they're not scary at all. Right, and it's a boring conversation. <laughs> well, I did one of the reasons I picked this movie. Um, for those who didn't hear the tail end of our last episode, is like this movie actually really scared me the first time I saw it, and I'm not gonna lie, even you know kind of half remembering it but knowing enough going in for a revisit still scared the fuck out of me again it's one of those movies that like you want to watch if you're a freak like me you want to watch it like a started at like 11 30 at night ideally weeknight you're taking a little risk you're gonna stay up a little late do something aberrant that you shouldn't do and you're gonna be you know you're going to lock, make sure your door is locked and you're going to make sure that everything's nailed down because like anything could happen <laughs> While you're watching this, like your wallpaper could suddenly start peeling down and a giant hole could be revealed. That's so cool, too, right? There is actually, it kind of reminded me of Silent Hill, to be honest. Mm. I can see that. The little, you know, you have your your, your little domicile and then it rots away and it's bringing up the ghosts and demons of your past. And you know what? I'm going to drop the ultimate hot take right now. Yes. Yes, I'm ready for it. My body is ready. You two talk a lot of shit on this podcast about Netflix. And especially recently when there's been this moment where, you know, Netflix's stock is tanked and their membership is tanked and everybody's talking shit about Netflix. But you know what? Where would this movie have wound up if not for Netflix? We might we might not have been able to Shutter. see it. We might not have heard about it. And it's been exposed to a wide audience 
as a result of Netflix. And yes, not everything Netflix puts out is great. But when I was reading, I, I was reading an article recently about, you know, this whole, you know, Netflix taking a shit thing. And uh, this one, they, so the, the, the writer of the article interviewed a director who said, anytime I have like some weird out of left field shit, I pitch it to Netflix because they'll take a chance on it. And if Netflix cuts back and stops doing so much original content, I don't really know who I'm going to pitch this shit to. So like, I, I just, I don't know. I want to, you know, Netflix is not all great. There's tons of shit on there, but I just, eh, you know, it's, it's given an audience and exposure to some stuff that would not some really good stuff that would not have found the same audience otherwise. And I think that's worth recognizing instead of just going to the standard oh, Netflix sucks. There should well, be better can stuff I just on say, Netflix take. Well, okay. So I, I think the unspoken reason I chose this movie is because I don't think it has found its audience. This is not a movie I hear a lot it's of people talk about. It's found more audience than it would have. It's my point. I think it. I think if it had been on, if it had premiered on Shutter, it would have like found. I, I think it may have had more success there. Unfortunately, what? Um, There's no eh, fucking no, way. I take I take Patrick's side on this. I think this was ranked pretty high on like the Netflix, uh, you know, rankings when it first came out. And I remember hearing about well, a those lot. Those algorithms are very lot. mysterious. There's no real data about that or what. Hearing that means. about a lot in horror circles and stuff. I mean, this was this was this got some renown when it first came out. The problem is. Like well, we only hardcore say. horror people are on Shutter. Like, I mean, it, it, everybody's got fucking Netflix. You know, it's just, it's just, it is more exposure. I, I just feel like that. To me, that's objective truth. Is it's just you will have more exposure on Netflix than Shutter. Yeah, uh, but the, I mean, the I could talk about this forever. We won't do it. But it's Chris, content. Sorry, it's content overload and something comes out and it was like, Oh, his house. It's one of the scariest horror movies of the year. And then next weekend they're talking about making a murderer part three. Yeah. Stuff gets buried easily, but then there is the silver lining of the fact that it is going to stick around. At least I'm happy to say that I can, you know, we can hopefully introduce people to this movie who may not have heard of it because Netflix owns it and they're not taking it off the platform anytime soon. So there is yeah. something to be said for that. Um, I'll be on Netflix till they turn the lights off, till they turn off the big red N. <laughs> it would be <laughs> it would be funny if Netflix actually went under and we just like maintained some list of like horror movies that had been on Netflix and just oh, kept yeah. doing this bullshit. A static <laughs> list. We get like the last yeah. like we do A to Z on the last day of the horror section and like that's and it. Would it. Still that's our take podcast. Us, like this another is... decade to finish it. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And then we go to the estate auction and we buy the rights to all these movies we've reviewed for like 10 bucks each, $100 here and there. We own 13 cameras. We own 14 cameras. We own Ava's possessions. We own Booth Nath. I own Anti-Birth. I would love to own Anti-Birth. I feel like it's time to go to the spoiler room. It's it definitely time to review it because um, because we, we've already spoiled that Netflix is going to go under and we're going to buy their entire catalog. So we're like already there. We amazingly as rambling as this has been, though, I think interesting and productive conversation. We have not gotten to the spoiler, but we're going to get there very soon. I'm just going to go ahead and review this. I think I tipped my hand early off even by choosing this movie. This is a stone cold view. It. This is one of my favorite horror movies of the last 
five, six years. I don't know. It's hard to quantify after the pandemic, but this is one that really stuck with me. I enjoyed it perhaps even more. It was maybe even a little more chilled watching it for this episode. I think it's a great movie about, as as Patrick said uh, via Roger Ebert, it's, you know, this is the this is an empathy machine. This movie throws you into the shoes of uh, people whose experience you might not be able to immediately relate to, but you will find that you identify with their struggles and their fears. And yeah, I just, it's, it's one of those rare movies where I literally cannot think of a bad thing to say about it. So it gets my highest view it. Chris. Wow. Wow. I am also going to give it a view it, not a stone cold view it, maybe a cold stone view it. You want to get some ice cream. You want to put on a spooky movie, (laughs) but, um, no, I liked it a lot. It, uh, it's it's not the the best movie I've ever seen. That would be Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> but um, uh, no, it's it's very interesting and very scary. And if you show me a movie that's very interesting and very scary, not everything has to work for me to give it a recommendation. So that's all I have to say. I mean, view it. It'll probably be interesting to you too, Patrick. <laughs> Oh, hard view it. I mean, I tip my hand to that early on. Um, I would actually say everything does work in it. I think I find no fault with this movie. I think it might be a perfect movie to me. It was brilliantly done. The past however long you've been listening to this podcast is my review of it. The only thing I'll add sort of pertinent to the spoiler room is that when that spoiler drops, I got legitimate chills just feeling it all up and down my back and my shoulders and my neck. And I almost cried and it's brilliantly done. Let me, let me revise my statement. I don't think that it's an issue of things not working in the movie, but I'm going to need to watch it again. I think to really appreciate some things. And I kind of got a little lost and confused in the end. There's kind of a lot of stuff going on at once for sure. Um, Yeah. Still interesting. It's probably my fault for getting lost, but, um, that's, that's what I meant by that, I guess. I kind of was like, what's going on here? But It's, it's kind of everything everywhere all at once. Yes, you know? it kind of was. Oh, fuck. Let's not even go down that road. Oh, man. The talk about a perfect movie. And you I, know, I, I, will, I will add, though, like, this is my this is my ideal kind of horror movie because it is scary and it is horrific, but it's so grounded in emotional truth. You know, it's on that, like, mm-hmm. a dark song kind of level for me where it's about something so real and relatable and this is the apex of what all this shit is about about what this genre that i love is about to me because i love the stupid shit where you're just stabbing people in the face and it's like oh look at that that you know i love that shit that's great it's good that's a nine on my scale but the 10 is where you're doing something really beautiful that's about something real and powerful and that makes you relate to other people and think about different people and understand them better as a result of something that scared the shit out of you. Well said. Well said. So we're going down into the spoiler townhouse and we're going to spoil everything. Um, do we have, I don't know. That's that down. That's kind of a lateral move. I think from my apartment, we're going to walk over to the spoiler townhouse. Uh, do we have any messages for, uh, our listeners before we head down there yeah we'd like to remind you dear listener our favorite listener go online if you like the show leave us a review and a rating on your podcast provider we hear that helps us a lot 
it helps us be one of the good ones. <laughs> uh, oh. I, that might be too far. Be too oh, far. oh my That's god! Great. That's good. Oh my god! It, 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 it puts a good mark in our file, so other people can find us. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then you know, while you're online, you can check us out on social media at Amoncast, E H M O N Cast, and we're on the we're on the big three: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, get in touch with us, and we love to hear what the big you three thought. for anyone who's thirty years old or older. <laughs> we love to hear what you thought of the movie. So you know, if you have hot takes on his house, dish them out. Um, and then you can go to our website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. Its condition is similar to the tenement house in this movie. Some <laughs> things work, some things don't. But you know, you can go on there and, and no balls poke, absolutely no balls poke around <laughs> if you want <laughs> and don't forget to go to hymns.com and put in that promo code no first AMON click on 20. the microphone at the top of the home page come on that's important and then oh, i don't know about the microphone what is the Amon, microphone aim on 20 and get 20 percent off your first order at hymns.com erectile dysfunction medication for <laughs> the man and all of us and if you, you can just steven will leave his address so you can just have it all shipped to his house his house <laughs> to, to uh, him's house that's what we call steven's, steven's place now <laughs> all right well i don't know if we're gonna get sued or get a check in the mail i, I this is gonna be interesting i really hope that him's just rolls up and it's like guys you did us a solid you want to do you want to <laughs> all right let's go to the fucking spoiler room <laughs> jesus okay. christ talk to you soon <laughs> bye <laughs>
What are you right. putting on your fucking I, you know, French fries? What are you putting on your eggs? I'm trying to say. Everything was there. All What's the flavors were there. And then just beats you over the head with it a little bit with this twist. I, I, I really liked the twist. Uh, so, and, and the, you know, it would be really helpful to our listeners right now who haven't seen the movie if we explain the twist. But finally, Please do. Please, go ahead. <laughs> we flash back in, in like, oh, and it was so good because often I, um, I, I struggle with movies who, that have, who have, that have. <laughs> um, movies are people. I struggle with movies that have, that, that employ non-sequential storytelling because I'm always like, why? Yeah. You, why is there a story reason for this to happen other than just you trying to shock me by, Mm -hmm. you know, throwing me into the action early and then flashing back? That's a trope I'm really fucking tired of. Or, you know, it's just it's just too often deployed as a way to build shock factor. But in this case, it's deployed as the woman, if I remember correctly, is kind of entering this hallucinatory kind of thing where she's wandering around the tenement and the tenement suddenly becomes their home back in Sudan. Yeah. Which is a shocking moment. And she's in like a classroom with other women and it's like this kind of casual scene at first, right? And they're comforting her, but she realizes there's something wrong and they are tied to this concept that the husband has mentioned earlier in the movie about... I'm going to say this in a super white American way, apath. I forget the pronunciation, but it's apath. pronounced A-P-E-T-H is the spelling. They pronounce it apath or aka apath. night witch, which, night wow, witch. I got to steal yes. that title for something. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but we flash back and find out that the daughter that we, quote unquote daughter, that we've seen multiple times and, and has been referenced numerous times uh, was in fact not their daughter. They were trying to escape from essentially a massacre in their village, which is mm-hmm. also stunningly depicted. She, yeah. she, in this, in this sort of nightmare hallucination, she crawls out of this cabinet completely unexpectedly. Again, there's no context for this, and we slowly realize this is her memory of her crawling out of this cabinet that she hid in while a bunch of other people were massacred in this room doesn't linger over the violence the camera just like slowly kind of pans over this room and you just see there are bodies it's masterfully depicted it was so unsettling but also not fetishizing that violence right yes and she and the husband are trying to escape from this situation they're getting on a bus or a van the van is full they're saying no no only children on this van and there's a kid there who wants to get on the van and they claim the kid is their own. Yeah. They steal this child away from her mother so that they can board the van as a quote unquote family. But they don't realize that the mom is still there. Right. They don't realize such a, it's, it's again, such an empathetic decision because they're like, okay, there's a kid here who seems to be with no one. Let's claim her as our own. It's we'll the old, it's the Billy we'll Zane. It's we'll just what he does in Titanic. Oh my oh, god! Shut up! Really? <laughs> really? Yes. It's exactly really? what it is. No, but do we really have to connect this to Titanic right now? Does everything have to go back to Titanic? Hey, whatever is emotionally resonant for Chris is fine. We're okay. beating around the bush. People might not understand. Our listeners might not understand. They're like, "Oh, so there's a child, but then she was in a cabinet." No, he does the Titanic. Oh, and everyone, Titanic is the universal constant. Huh? It is, but it's a very okay. it's a it's a it's a hasty but uh, like empathetic 
decision that is made. Um, and they do want yes, a child, right? There's also that going on what do you in say, the background. Why do you say empathetic decision? Um, because it, I, I guess I'm saying that because it didn't seem like it was malicious. Like they did not. Yes. The husband did not know that the mother was there. It's like in the rush mm. of like escaping genocide. Yes. It's like it, it kind of it's like, OK, well, I can have my dream of having a daughter. But more importantly, I can get on this bus and be with my wife and also save this child. It's very complicated. Yeah. But in the rush of the moment, I can understand how any human might make that decision, you know, on the flip of a coin. Absolutely. I, I didn't read it that way. I thought it was an unsympathetic act. I'm not saying really? you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. Maybe it's because Billy Zane was in my head too much. But wait, I'm, okay. So hold hold on. Back up two steps because I, unlike you, have not watched. I've only seen Titanic once. And I don't remember what the fuck. Oh my you're god, talking are we about. talking about Titanic? Well, yeah. he did, he did this to us. So explain to us what you're <laughs> talking about with Billy Zane. Well, all right. So in Titanic, Rose's fiance is played by Billy Zane. He's a Who's huge Rose? asshole throughout the movie. Rose's Kate Winslet. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> well, I know who Jack and like Rose are. like a babe in the woods about James Cameron's Titanic. I, ca- I kind of am, but I, I right. do know who Jack and Rose are, and I know what. The Wait, and how much did it gross at the box office? <laughs> More money than any other movie except Avatar. <laughs> Okay, um, tell, uh, go ahead. All right, so so Billy Zane's character, Cal, is Rose's fiance. He's an asshole the entire movie, and then at the end, he's finally given up on killing Jack, getting the diamond or whatever, and, and they're boarding. He's trying to board the lifeboat, but they're like, it's it's women and children only at this point. So he goes and he finds, finds some blubbering little moppet and picks him up and then runs back to the lifeboat. And he says, I have a child, and then he let him on the lifeboat. Mm, okay, all right, I... I... I get it. Thank you for the context. But in Titanic, it is clearly a, a look at this asshole who's just trying to save his own ass by grabbing a random child. And that maybe it's because I I understood the reference. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. His house. Just a long Titanic reference. But um, no, I thought that it was like clearly like they're trying to get on this bus by any means possible. They're begging. They're begging. Then he sees another couple get on with a child. Then he sees a child and just snatches her. And I thought it was pretty clear that this is not a, this is not good for the child. And the child like is freaking out about it. Does not want to go. It's not like she's like, oh, thank God I get to go on the bus. She is not happy to be picked up by this guy and boarded absolutely on this bus. not no and i think like no matter how you slice it really what's interesting is that this isn't just played off as a casual moment i mean this is what the entire movie's about our characters have been answering for this grievous uh misjudgment for the entire film that is yes. that is why they are haunted there's a night witch after them there's yes. been a, a deal made with the night night witch in order to like try and absolve them. I don't know. I honestly don't understand the mechanics of how all that works. So I'm not going to pretend to, but like, that's why they're haunted because they, they, they made this mistake together and they have sort of different takes about what that means and whether or not it's worth answering for. And that's compounded by the interesting sort of, uh, cultural journey that they both go through in their new home. Like the, the, the mm-hmm. wife is very much holding back their tradition, leaning into tradition and like trying to, Uh, maintain a sense of like where they came from like literally geographically but also like what they what they did to get where they are by abducting Mm -hmm. this child and the husband is 
uh, trying to assimilate as quickly as possible into society and forget that this ever happened. And mm-hmm. it turns out you can't really escape that that kind of a, uh, a sin. Um, and I get so how you have you to answer say, for that in some way. I get how you can say it's it's. I get how you can sympathize with the decision. I'm not going to say anyone's wrong for saying, oh, they did this thing anybody would do, etc. But yeah, we have been told the whole movie that there was a crime committed. There was a yeah. sin and there has to be atonement. And so when you see that and it was a disturbing scene and I felt bad for the girl at the time. I was like, uh-huh. this is not OK. Compounded with me expecting there to be another shoe falling where we find out that this guy escaped through unethical means or because he stole something. Uh, so but, I, I did not read the girl's reaction as as resisting going on the van with them she was obviously intensely distraught when she got on the van and her mom is running behind the van screaming to be reunited with her child because uh, the way i read the scene our, our protagonist didn't realize obviously that this kid's mom was still alive and my read was also the kid also didn't realize her mom was still alive. And all of a sudden is screaming mama for her mom running behind the van. And nobody knows, nobody cares because they're just trying to get out of there. I also found it more sympathetic than your Billy Zane, because this was not like purely opportunistic. They, you know, they're not hustlers or anything, you know, they're just people in a very stressful moment that I can't even possibly imagine being in trying to figure out like how to, how, how do I get back to my wife? You know, how and, do I get out of here with her? And also we see them multiple times say, I will protect you to that girl. Like they feel yeah. a sense. They do feel a sense of responsibility to that girl. And their huge guilt in London is that she ends up drowning on the boat over to London, which is not their fault. But they feel such responsibility because they brought her on the van with them. Yes, and, they should. And, I mean, they should feel guilty me, about that. And to I mean, me, regardless that's of- all deeply as you said Stephen, apathetic um especially compared to god damn it i can't believe you did this to us chris comparing this to fucking billy zane and titanic <laughs> but it's so much more empathetic than that because billy zane literally goes looking for a kid to use as like a human shield whereas they're in an intense moment there's a kid right next to them who wants to get on the van they need to get on the van to get away from these fucking assholes with machine guns and they say come with us and then they yeah. fail and it haunts them for the rest of the fucking movie. And it's just, well, well, yeah, it, agre- was, it, was, it was deeply moving to me. It was deeply empathetic. And 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 it the, it's such a good scene. It's a great scene. Well, it was deeply up- upsetting to me. And, it and it the, was deeply the, upsetting. It's oh, upsetting, we, we, we but what this comes down that. to is this movie, like I keep coming back to that phrase um, that that, that uh, Matt Smith gives, or that in the movie, like, I, like be the good ones. And... I feel like this movie is all, in some ways, a lot about kind of resisting the delineation between good and bad decisions in situations where you don't really have a say, where you're literally just left with your own survival instinct. I don't know. I just so I mean, I'm, I'm hearing what Chris is saying about that scene and how he read it, but just I still can't see it as a bad decision. It's like you're still there and the people with machine guns are still coming and you want to save yourself and your partner and there's a van there and there's a kid who needs to get out of there as much as you do so like i just i can't say i would have done anything different i can't say i would have done anything different but i again the movie does not condone that decision necessarily it accepts that as a decision born out of 
a survival instinct. Sure. Um, and the characters definitely suffer for it and grow from it. And uh, that's what makes it so interesting. That's why I was so happy that this movie actually went to that deeper and complicated emotional level that I wasn't expecting. Yes. Um, it left yes. me so much more to chew on and, and never left me feeling gross about it. You know, like I still like, because at this point, by the time we received this information, we've been following these characters for an hour and we were yes. deeply involved in their plight. And it could be a deal breaker to find out that they're villains all of a sudden. Right. But they're not. And I think even if you look back at that sequence, I would love to look back and look at the editing of it, but like you're meant to feel conflicted. Like is, you know, there's there's a moment before he grabs the girl, I think, and like gets on the bus where you're like, is this really the right thing to do? But in the heat of the moment, you you kind of understand, knowing what you know about this character, why he would make that decision. It mm -hmm. doesn't make it any less uncomfortable. It's not black and white, but I found it very believable and very human. Sure, I don't think that they took this I don't think they had any regard for the well-being of this girl when they grabbed her to get on the bus but we can interpret that differently I mean so what would you have done in that situation Chris just stayed back there and watched yourself the child and the mother all get gunned down maybe I mean maybe I would have done the same thing I'm not saying that it's not a decision that people can make but it's not I don't think it's morally defensible um oh hmm. at all wow well, again, the movie is about them having to deal with those murky waters of that decision. Sure. So that's where I give it up. That's where I think it works in that, like, are these protagonists that we've been following this entire time, it turns out, are not exactly quite as immediately sympathetic as you would like them to be. They, they, but, they've dealt with some shit. They've, they've made some mistakes. And yet I, I still rooted for them and still was very mm -hmm, invested sure. in them figuring out how to atone uh, for what they for the mistakes that they were uncomfortable having made. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. They're still sympathetic. I mean, it's a it's a horrible it's a horrible thing that they did in in my eyes. But it's not like I was like, oh, uh, they need to Lord. deport them now. They, they it's like I I'm still on Wait, their side. I'm 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 curious. I I just I don't know. I I'm sorry. I I don't. I'm not trying to put you on trial. I'm just I'm just genuinely curious. Like what in your mind is the morally defensible decision in that situation not to snatch a child who you yeah, don't, don't know do who it is and i would say they should take not have them away that. from whoever they're there with or not with and, and, and just, yeah. so do you have any sense of the context that like presumably there are a lot of children who don't have parents or are separated from their parents in that situation sure but like also there's someone who's clearly like gatekeeping the bus there that's their problem it's not like <laughs> i don't know hmm. it's 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 not up to me to grab someone's kid that's not mine and say oh i'm gonna be the savior of this kid without knowing the context i mean I it's not like and it's not like these people were going through the crowd finding kids bringing them to the bus they found the first kid they could and they got on the bus with the kids so that they could save their own ass i mean okay so it Yes. I mean, I guess I agree with you, actually, at a fundamental level that it's not a morally defensible decision. But I guess that's where I go back to sort of the difference between like what Stephen and I keep describing as an empathetic decision or a decision that is easy to empathize with in that you're there. Chances are at least the first thing that would go through my brain, as it did when I was just watching the movie, let alone being in this traumatic situation where you're fleeing your home after people have been gunned down. My immediate assumption was, oh, this is an orphan. This is or, or, or a child that's been separated from their mother, like 
we can help them and also help ourselves at the same time. So, I mean, it's a, it is, I agree. It's not morally defensible. Like sure. There's like a lot more due diligence to be done to find out whose kid that is and to not like, you know, lash yourselves to that child as the, as the board floating on floating in the ocean. Yeah. But, Um, but, but, but it's also very empathetic. It's very relatable. Also in the text of the movie, we've been told that this was their daughter. We've kind of been lied to the whole time, too. Yeah. So it's like, I think that might have affected how sympathetic I was to them. But, hey, I don't know. Who knows what we do in that situation? I don't know what I'm going to do when there's a societal collapse and a genocide in progress. You're going to find we out. May, we, yeah, we're all going to find out if we uh, you know, keep burning fossil fuels, which we certainly will. But here is what I got confused about. At one point, the wife was pregnant. Yeah. Was that in the movie? I am I was very confused about that, I have to say, even on a second viewing, that I did not understand the status of the wife's uh, pregnancy. This is a detail that I need to pay attention to if I rewatch, because it seems to me when she's in the schoolhouse talking to all the women, etc. I thought it was like a Lamaze class or something. Yeah, like she actually has a baby or is supposed to have a baby or is trying to have a baby uh-huh. and either didn't conceive or miscarried or, or, or something like that. And then I think throughout the rest of the movie, when she's talking about their daughter, I think there might be a little bit of um, uh, misdirection where sometimes she's talking about their pregnancy and sometimes she's talking about the girl that they stole that they adopted as a daughter who died. I think that's in the text, yeah, but it is a little bit unclear. I, I, I have okay. to agree with you there. So um, I, I was just wondering if you had a better handle on exactly what we were supposed to take away from that. But sadly, like no, that. and that was something I was looking out for this time through, seeing it a second. And yeah, I, I didn't really get any better of a handle on. It. But I mean, it doesn't matter whether or not. Back to back to the the bus boarding situation. Doesn't matter whether or not you find it morally reprehensible or you sympathize or empathize with the decisions that were made the fact is the characters have to suffer for it and in the end they they, they do end up kind of kind of striking a deal with the the night witch and they decide to stay in their new home in the uk but to live with all of the ghosts uh of the past of of their journey to that 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 new home well right? can i well, can i can i make a, make a deal. can i make a final statement on that the bus well they have thing. a confrontation at least and they kill the night witch and they're oh, left uh-huh. with the ghost what's, what's Patrick's statement oh shit I, I i think i think the interesting thing about this whole bus thing is that they're essentially taking a gamble in Get my the mind fuck out of here <laughs> sorry my cat just literally ripped the cord out of my headphones it's almost like you should close the door to your bedroom like I do when I record this podcast. Go, go yeah, you want to hear you want to hear how much noise there is when that happens. Anyway, go ahead. Um, essentially, the characters are taking a gamble on that being a morally defensible decision. They're taking a gamble that this is an orphan who would benefit from some protection in this situation. And, you know, perhaps it's not. And they do. Deal with and suffer for the fact that it's not for the rest of the movie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think they make a deal with the Night Witch, though. They kill the Night Witch. They They kill the Night Witch. And this is is another thing I don't completely understand. But basically, the Night Witch is like, all right, listen, this this man has got to go. And you know what? You can have your daughter back even. 
And what daughter are they talking about? Again, was was she pregnant? I don't know. But he's like, you can have your daughter back, but we demand flesh from this son of a bitch who stole this girl yeah. from the bus stop to save his own ass. And she, the wife is about to stab the husband. And then the husband is like killing himself. And then the Night Witch emerges in the flesh looking like, um, oh, my God. What's he looking like? We've seen so Kanker many man? movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kanker Man. Thank he you so much. He does look like Kanker Man. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, the Probably Javier Botet up in that shit. It is. Yeah. No, it is. Is it literally? It's actually Javier Botet. Yeah. Uh, I that's almost, amazing. That's what I assumed. I but. almost texted you guys when this was over because it's two different people who play him, but it's yeah, Javier as, as Chris. Oh, so it's him as, and the other guy. As Chris calls him, just Javier. Um, <laughs> Doug Jones is not in this movie, though. Oh, awesome. damn. I'd love if they'd like double team that performance. That'd be great. I'm so glad it was actually the canker man. So he's about to drag our man to hell, and then the wife <laughs> slits his throat. Kills him. Yep. Hides him under the floorboards. Puts a rug over it. So they're. And then we get packed. the inspection scene afterward. Where, like it's hilarious when you see the rug laid down with like the blood around it. Like it's clear there's a a hole under there. Yeah, and so don't I don't notice. I don't get it. I don't understand what it really means plot wise. I think it works thematically. I mean, you have this this woman who has been at odds with the assimilation and kind of. Uh, pro witch for the whole movie <laughs> yeah and yeah. then she has to kill the witch and bury him under the boards of their new house and oh, I that love it. enables her to and then she finally assimilates okay and then when she assimilates it's a, a happy ending except they're all still living with the guilt and the ghosts of everything because that's never going to go away exactly it's like the perfect it's not a full assimilation it's okay we're here now but like we we've acknowledged our origin and we are carrying that with us on this journey. Finally, yeah. we're not hiding from it. We're not trying to pretend to be people. We're not. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna give this an earnest go. And unfortunately, they have to live with like twenty ghosts to do that. And I want to see that movie. Um, oh yeah, okay, okay. The Night Witch, the original <laughs> myth that's told about it is yeah. someone stole too much, and the Night mm-hmm. Witch came for yes. them. Is basically that's the concept behind the Night Witch, and that's why the well, Night Witch is coming for Well, they stole from a bunch of people, now. but then stole from the Night Witch, and like the Night Witch came after them. They like got it's, the wrong guy. Specifically, they, stole to build a nice house, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's you. You commit a theft to get a new home, and then the Night Witch needs to balance the ledger with your blood. Yes, that's why the Night Witch is after them now because they stole. At least in their minds, the guilt that they're working with is that they stole to get to England. Mm-hmm. That's why the Night Witch is after them. And the, the the way they talk to the to Matt Smith and the other British officials about the witch is the guy is fucking freaked out about it. He sees the ghosts in the house, whatever. And the wife is more prepared to accept it. She knows what they did and feels more guilt about what they did. And so she's owning their culture more and owning that this happened. And the resolution of the story is them living with, okay, these ghosts are here. This is what happened to get us here. And, and, and they're making their peace with that. I don't know that it has that much to do with them assimilating into British culture. 
I mean, I don't know that we need to talk about that because it's, um, I mean, that's just sort of my, my, my mind immediately in that final shot goes to like, okay, where do we go from here? Like what's left for these characters It's kind of like the end of a perfect short story where you're, you're not left, you're left with like a suggestion of what comes next and how these characters kind of pick up the pieces and move on from it. Um, but that's not really what this is about. So we need to go there. Um, but at the end, at least they have made peace with their sins and made peace with the ghosts. Right. I think that that's what I'm saying. Fine. That's very centrally what it's about is yeah. if they can accept, you know, the, the sin, the bad choice, the, you know, whatever we describe it, we, we obviously had a lot of different takes on that decision, but if they can accept that decision and accept that essentially it's survivor's guilt, this movie's about fucking survivor's guilt, even almost yeah, more so than wrong. that, that one girl dying. Clearly they are burdened by the every every fucking person who died on that boat other than them you know that's that's the real burden of this and and the quote-unquote daughter i think is almost the uh the symbol or sort of the avatar of of all those deaths and that guilt yeah yeah yes. that's a that's a very smart read i like but that. here's the thing they don't I don't think they accept it because their tradition the traditional punishment for their transgression is you get killed by the night witch. <laughs> oh, the listeners the listeners need to know Stephen and I just reacted like viscerally visually to that like we were like cartoon characters just blowing back in our seats gesticulating wildly. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because they're they're in the house, they are calm. They are surrounded by the ghosts and they say, yeah, we're here. These these people are here. They came with us. To me, the implication, obviously, this is not no one says this directly because, again, it's a fairly subtle movie. But they are surrounded by those ghosts. They're in the house and our protagonists Mm -hmm. say, yep, they're here. That's okay. That's not our fault. We don't need to feel guilt for that. No, I don't think that they accept that they don't need to feel guilt, but they accept that they are guilty and are deciding to oh. be okay with it. I think it's darker because I, I'm with you. No, that, to, that's my read. To actually. Balance, to balance the ledger, you have to give blood to the night witch and even the wife who is very much for this thing and is about to kill her husband herself to atone for this crime Mm -hmm. decides at the last minute actually i kind of like this house actually i kind of am not that connected to the old ways i'm gonna kill this witch and they kill the witch and then they're in the house and they still have all this darkness in their past and they're just gonna say this is who we are we're not good people and guess what? No one else in this block is, and this is going to be our life. I'm not saying that take is wrong, um, because I think it's a movie that's open to interpretation, but I disagree with it. I think slaying the Night Witch is slaying the idea that you are responsible or you are guilty or that you committed some kind of a theft by those decisions that they made. They got rid of that idea, and they say, yeah, all these people died. That's terrible. We hold them with us, but we don't. You know, we don't hold them at arm's length. We're not scared of them. We're not responsible for them. They're not because they're not. They're not responsible for all those people who died. They can be sad for that. They can mourn for that. They can, you know, carry those people with them and have them around them at all times, as they clearly do at the end of the movie. But it doesn't have to be their burden. That Oh, it's their burden, though. That's I mean, take. I think the I think the final shot of the, the film, the final couple of shots, like makes it very clear that like they got more work to do because they got a house full of ghosts. 
Hmm. Um, but they're at peace with it. They're like, okay, we understand now why we're why we are responsible for this. We understand why we have to reckon with this now. And they they seem you know relatively at peace for a moment. That was it's my take. Like the anyway. Babadook. It's like the Babadook. At like the you, end, the Babadook's still around, but we're managing the Babadook. Yes, exactly. The Babadook's out in the garden shed, you know, chained up, and we'll feed it every now and again, and it's still kind of a you know difficult to deal with and, but and it's you there. can either manage it by making peace with it or you can manage it by owning it and saying this it is what it is i don't need to be a good person but i don't think it means that they committed like a mortal sin or anything i think that like just within the mythology of this whole night witch thing it's like well that's the price you gotta pay like sucks but like they're better off for having killed the night witch at the very least to me uh, they're they're not that's not a burden. Like those are still your your countrymen, and you're not responsible for them. Minor detail I liked, which is pretty obvious, is when our guy, uh, the the main character, the husband, buys a nice polo shirt and mm-hmm. almost immediately gets it stained with blood, and it's stained with blood the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not super subtle, but but satisfying. <laughs> Yeah, be, well, and and specifically, it's a symbol of his assimilation because he goes to what seems like the IKEA of clothing stores, and there's like a huge <laughs> oh, it's the gap all over. Yeah, yeah, there's a gap basically, and there's a huge poster of like a nice smiling white family wearing these outfits behind him, and he's like, "Oh, they look like they're having fun. Let me get that same polo." The dollar, or so, the 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 dollar prices or the pound prices, two pounds, five pounds. Wow! In, yeah, in the in the clothing store and in the hardware store, like super prominent to just kind of like we know how much money they have per week, and then you yeah. see. You know, I love that stuff. I think this oh, is a movie that like you can that. really. Yeah, it's so great. Like it reminds me of like I mean I know people who live on like disability and have to shop at like fucking Family Dollar and like see those signs when they have to go and like get a hammer to fix a thing in their apartment or whatever. I found that super relatable and the way it was shot made, I don't know. I like that stuff. I feel like there's so much more to dig into that, you know, we've been talking for almost two hours and we can't possibly get to the bottom of all of it. Please on social media, let us know what were your takes on his house? What did you think of it? Well, what the hell are we watching next time? The That's fucking, the fucking wheel of death is going to tell us, right? Oh, the Wheel of Death's going to tell us. All right. Well, let's uh, bring that thing out here. A little cyber wheel. We got every horror movie on Netflix loaded into it. We're going to give her a good spin, and we are going to decide what we are going to watch. I can see the flashing lights on your face, and it's very entertaining. I feel like I am on a game show right now. We're going to decide what movie Hymns is going to bring to us next time. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, we are going to watch. <laughs> oh my God, he's been doing this for like 45 seconds. The Privilege. The Privilege. Oh my God, what a perfect movie for this composition of podcast hosts. Uh, <laughs> I thought it said The Perfection, and I almost quit the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not going film. there again. I'm not talking about a it again. A great film. Um, but we're watching The Privilege. It's N film. Oh boy! And the description—it's 2022. This is a brand new baby. Oh boy! And it's Bavarian, it says, apparently. A wealthy teen and his friends attending an elite private school uncover a dark conspiracy while looking into a series of strange supernatural events. 
Haven't oh, heard that story no. before. <laughs> oh, I like not even remotely familiar. I like the doesn't sound familiar at all. I like the premise. Just the title makes me think it's going to be like super self-consciously woke, but we'll see. I hope oh, so be because nice. wealthy teen. Yeah, I I hope there's like a, a social critique in this that I can relate to. All right. Well, I think we're done here, gentlemen. Okay, well, my privilege is being able to lead us out of this episode as quickly as possible. Thank you so much for listening for every horror movie on Netflix. Can't wait to talk to you all next time. It's (laughs) going to be interesting for sure. I'm Steven. I'm Chris. I'm the privilege reminding you to use the code AMON20 at AMS.com. Bye. (laughs) 